Welcome to Notes on Vulnerability, a podcast designed to put stories of resilience, courage and being human at the heart of the conversation. This is the Tools for Resilience series, wellness and mental health chats focused on helping you grow and feel good about who you are. We'll be exploring ideas and practical tools designed to help you get comfortable with the vulnerability inherent in being human and the benefits of embracing it. And we'll reveal ways that working with this vulnerability builds resilience so that you can deepen your resources, adapt more, bounce back better and go on to thrive. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for the extra bonus content. In this episode of Notes on Vulnerability, we're going to be looking at play, which might sound odd given that you and me and the rest of my podcast audience is 99.9% fully grown adults. But trust me on this. Play, playfulness and making time for fun have all become a deep source of vulnerability for many of us, which is why we rarely do it. It's something that feels frivolous, time-wasting, indulgent. If I asked you to dedicate some time tomorrow to play, you'd probably think it would be more constructive to work, meditate or go to the gym. The reason I've picked this as a topic for this series of the podcast is because something is being lost by refusing ourselves the opportunity to be playful as adults. It does feel incredibly vulnerable to reveal your playful side and giving yourself permission and time to play is almost a revolutionary act in a world that prizes busyness and fitting in. But we are increasingly seeing studies that highlight the benefits of play, not just in terms of the wellness benefits that are sometimes easier to dismiss, but with convincing statistics that relate to things that we still focus on as benchmarks of credibility, such as profits and performance. For example, one study found that teams that play together are 20% more productive. Play improves cognitive function, fosters empathy with others and improves collaboration. Companies like Google have even got PlayStations in their offices to encourage teams to get on better. So perhaps our abandonment of play is another way in which as humans, we've built a society that kind of focuses on all the wrong things. This is something I'm keen to talk to my guests today about. Ollie Frost is a co-founder of The Human Programme, a holistic health programme built around personal relationships and connectivity, service together and loving kindness. He comes from a professional sports background and has a long history of working in the health industry. It's this that led him to start re-examining what it means to be healthy in the mind and body, which is where The Human Programme found its ethos and origins. The programme actually has a play and explore element built in, which is why he's here to do this episode today. So, Ollie, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me, Alex. Okay, so we're here to talk about play today, and we are doing it via Zoom, but I feel like we should be doing it in a skate park, really. (laughs) That'd be a good environment, for sure. Um, To begin with, can you tell me a bit more about who you are, what you do, and how you've come to this topic? My, obviously, name's Ollie Frost, and my background is in professional sport. Uh, As a child, I was introduced to dance, gymnastics, uh, parkour, various different types of movement training, which led me on to um, working in dance companies for around 10 years. And then alongside that, I played professional rugby. So I I guess from a young age, I was very much exposed to play um, without really knowing it. And for me, play has really shaped how I am as an adult today. And it really has given me the inspiration um, and also the perspective on how movement should feel differently as well from um, from the play construct. So is that why it made it into the human programme then? It was definitely a a large factor in that. And for us at the human programme, play is such a um, pivotal point for people to break down barriers with each other. 
So we introduced partner games, play, exp exploration, and all these types of modalities around play really allow the, the learner, the individual to feel themselves slightly differently to opposed to giving them very rigid instructions around how to move. And play is, is, is all encompassing. It plays in all the senses. And it really is a great way for people to interconnect, especially if they haven't met each other uh, beforehand as well. So I'm wondering whether I actually should have started this by saying, what do you think the definition of play is? Because I guess people are probably thinking of it differently. And most of the time, the picture that comes into your mind is going to be a kid. Yes. So how would you define play? I would define play as intrinsically motivating. So it's self-directed towards a um, particular feeling and sense versus it's not externally motivated by there's a goal or particular outcome. You're usually doing play because of the sake of the activity um, and you're, there isn't really a outcome as such. You're just in, you're in that moment of play um, without there being an objective goal or a point to be at. So play is a very um, open term, I feel, um, and it's very individually based in how they can kind of feel themselves during that moment as well of play. And what do you think is the power of play? Play is such a great way of, you know, reconnecting with your um, inner child. So as children, we would have been drawn towards um, playful activities through our, um, our education. And a lot of these playful activities would have been suppressed later on in life. So play really touches that side of our human physiology uh, we're designed to play um, if we look at hunter-gatherer societies they are taught from infants to play from the infant stage to a 16 year old so throughout that whole period they are self-directed through play so without any uh, adult interpretation how they should seek out their environment and how they should also collaborate with one another <laughs> There's a study from Peter Gray, who wrote a book called Free to Learn, and he asked 10 leading an uh, anthropologists, and they looked at three different tribes and three different geographical areas, and they looked at children and how their development is through play. And what they discovered is that these children are the most well-rounded and well-adjusted individuals they've met through their own individual purpose of play and how they then use that in that adult world. Um, giving them a much more imaginative and broader perspective on how they are as people and then how they then challenge their adult world um, as a result of that. So it sounds like it kind of gives you a much stronger sense of self. Completely. And it gives you, it gives you confidence and it gives you also um, an awareness around fear. And, you know, fear is something we are born with. The two major fears are one is the fear of falling and then the fear of loud noises. And then the other fears we, we learn and we, we inherit through our life. And play really allows us to step into a space where we're not quite sure what might happen. And as adults, we are rarely accustomed or put into those positions because we, we like to feel safe. We like to know where we're going, where's the next point of contact, what's the next task. And play removes that. And there is a optimal way to play. And the, and the, main, the main rule of thumb is it needs to be low stakes. So if the stakes are too high and there's too much of a fear element, you're not going to enjoy the activity as such. And there is a thing called one trial learning, whereby maybe as a child, we 
trialed a new um, activity and we had a really bad experience and that would have been stored in our physiology as adults so you might have played tennis as a child and not enjoyed it for one time but maybe that was because the stakes were too high and there was too much external pressure when the stakes are low and there's a mild around a mild amount of adrenaline that's the perfect um, environment to induce play so it's really kind of removing this pressure or stigma around creating um, or or trying to achieve something as such it really is just keeping the state slightly lower that you can feel the environment you can feel the activity um, and go from there really for your own personal view of it that's really interesting is I fell off a like a gym climbing frame at school when I was really small and bruised myself really badly and it was quite traumatic and now I've got a fear of like going upside down doing sort of handstands or cartwheels or anything. And I just didn't do those after that point in my life. I never went upside down because I fell basically on my head. <laughs> wow. And I've, yeah, I yeah, I was probably responsible for many mm. things. But um, so that's really interesting because mm. I have never really attributed it to that initial fear. And I think it's, you know, it's something that, and again, it's just, it, it's just leaning back into those points where, we have maybe memories that they weren't quite convenient or they weren't quite positive, but we can still, as adults, if we're open to going back into those activities, experiences, we can kind of, we can work around that. Uh, but again, we need to go back into that space, whatever the, the activity was with a, a mindset around that. It's going to be low stakes. It's not going to be hugely pressurized. We're not going to require a huge amount of the brain in terms of the activity or what it needs to perform certain operations. We need to just keep it in a safe environment and then allow your body to you know, go back into that activity. So for yourself, it was going upside down and going upside down as adults is very difficult unless you did it as a child. And when I was younger, I was very fortunate to do gymnastics and break dancing and dance. So a lot of time was spent on my hands. And then as an adult, coaching adults how to do gymnastics you can see there's such a fear around that and one of the questions I ask is did you do it as a child and if they didn't you can quickly see that there is a, a built-in fear around this um, that's not to say we can't overcome that but it's harder as an adult when we built up as you know lots of our patterns and behaviors um, which might put us off from doing that particular activity. So what would be the benefit of facing up to that sort of that vulnerability? It would be that you become more, I guess, risk adverse and you can challenge yourself in more uh, uncertain environments. And this can then cross over to your professional work and your social life as well. So if, if you play there, you don't really know what's going to happen. Um, so I'm just going to take skateboarding as an example. You'll perform the certain movement over and over again, but you don't really know how it's going to go. So you're just tinkering with the outcome and making small modifications. And this is something we can do in our everyday life. We can tinker with our environment. We can see what works, what, what doesn't work. And this is where the contingency aspect comes into it. And play is built around contingency. So as a child, we would have played with friends whether it was with dolls toys and we would have said, and we would have in our minds gone what would have happened if I played that certain role what would happen if I did that example of a movement or an activity and when we're as adults we go through that same process with play so we built these contingencies around 
going back to skateboard trick, what will happen if I put my foot in that position next time? So I'm tinkering with the outcome. I don't, I don't know if it's going to work. I'm just trusting myself in a space where it is vulnerable. It is uncertain. Um, I think the baby step one's a good one to look at where a baby takes the flight of stairs. There's one step to take at the end. You, they're uncertain about taking the next step, but they're curious around taking the next step. And usually when they take the next step, they, they have that sense of fulfillment that they've gone into that uncertain space because they don't know what's going to happen when they go to the next step. They've never been at the next step, but they're prepared to go into that next space. And as adults, we can learn a lot from the, the baby brain and the toddler, the toddler way of life because they're very curious and they step into vulnerable environments all the time, whether that's with their own bodies, how they move, how they interact, how they navigate themselves around their own environment. And I guess like one of the reasons we lose that as we get older is when we fall or when we start to accumulate bad experiences around that sort of curiosity or someone tells us off for it. So how can you counteract that if that's the mindset you've got into? I think again, it's, it's taking yourself back into a safe container, um, whether you're drawn towards a, a group activity, which might be guided by someone with more experience to give you that safe space. And it's, it's being, it's, it's taking the, the step into the unknown. And as adults, we are very routinely based, we're very habitual in our patterns. And let's just use going to work and cycling. So our, our main route to work is just A to B. That not very often will we go to a different street because we'll know the most efficient route is to go from this point to the next point. But if we can encourage more, maybe today I'm going to go down a different road. I'm going to do something a bit more spontaneous. I'm going to do something which I don't usually do. And I think these points, even though it's quite low stakes, again, it just takes your mind off that habitual autopilot um, where the programs are just running in the background where you can go, actually, I might go something, I might go left today or I might go right or I might go back into gymnastics. I might try going to some different activities as a child. I, I knew I enjoyed, but as, as an adult, I'm not being maybe accustomed to because of my uh, everyday life. And does this have to be something physical? Not at all. It's, um, I think the, the physical benefits of play are huge. So it, when we, when we play physically, it, it taps into one of the oldest parts of the brain, so the ancient brain, and we reduce, sorry, we produce uh, endogenous op opioids. So this is a very, very, um, um, very, very potent part of the brain, which, which is released. These chemicals are only released during play. And when we release these um, endogenous opioids during play, we can increase the amount of operations at the front of the brain. So the front of the brain, we have the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for decision-making and perspective. When we play or induce playful activities, whether they're physical or mental, we release these natural chemicals, which then give us that window of opportunity and they can start to maybe look at things slightly differently. So we can look back at our physiology and we can use that to our advantage. And as children, we will do this all the time habitually. As adults, we can also get this massive benefit from these, you know, these happiness, endorphins, dopamine, um, from releasing endogenous opioids through play alone. Chess is something which is um, very, 
well regarded in terms of not just the mental side of it, but how you role play during the chess pieces. So again, when you're in a playful situation, you, you have to learn how different parts of different um, activities play out. And this puts you in a different position every move, uh, every maneuver. So using chess as, as that example is a great way to encourage play mentally. Um, so there are not, not just the physical activities that you can do as well. It's kind of like a life hack or a metabolism hack or whatever you want to call it. Like, Definitely. It really is. It's uh, ex extremely powerful. And just to touch on neuroplasticity, uh, and as, as we know, neuroplasticity is our uh, response in, in terms of our experience of life and how our brains can evolve naturally. And play is fundamental for developing neuroplasticity. And again, it goes back to releasing these very special uh, endogenous opioids, which allow the prefrontal cortex to develop more operations and expand our, our amount of operations that we can produce in that moment. And I think as, as adults, it's vitally important that whatever activity we're choosing, it doesn't become routine based. And, you know, there are pillars of remedial things that we might feel like we need to do but we should really still dedicate an hour a week of pure play so pure play is it's not instructed it's 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 not being told where to be or or who who to be with you're drawn through your own instincts into that particular environment to induce the benefits of play i think it's actually quite hard to to think of an activity that like, because when you were saying that, I was thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to try that. Like, I'm going to do an hour a week of play. But what, what am I going to do? I don't have a skateboard. Like, so what would you recommend for someone who's a bit like, well, where the hell do I start? I've got no ideas. I think a good place to start is to go back to your childhood, to all our childhoods, and look at what were the passions and motivations at that point. And that could be art, drawing, music, uh, physical activities, you know, it could be more time spent in nature, you know, all of these key pillars of being a human, being creative. And it's, again, just looking back at those maybe innate traits that you probably haven't done maybe for whatever reason. And they are all deeply ingrained in us. I, I do believe from a personal point of view that each individual has a very special gift through this creative spark and it's just tapping back into these um these old in ingrained uh, habits and behaviors that maybe are suppressed through our modern day life at, at the moment so i did a poll on instagram recently um about this about fun and about play um and the vast majority of people who replied said they simply didn't have time for it <laughs> so this is a very common narrative i think Mm. you often hear um but what do you think we lose when we don't engage with play I mean, why do you think we've got I mean I suppose it's obvious why we've got this view of it but what are the misconceptions around it and what do we lose if we don't make time for it I, I, again I think it's very stigmatized around just it's been a, a children-based activity and when we look at you know other uh, education systems, whether it's a forest school education system or um, the Hazda tribe or these hunter gatherers, 
they are such big advocates of learner-led interactive um you know experiences through play and i just believe that as adults there's there there isn't really a there isn't really a step between maybe school and then adult life in terms of encouraging play um it's a big topic but the current education system i don't believe really facilitates play enough so when children get to 12 years old you know they're at primary school they're developing lots of different skills around art music dance singing and then when we get to secondary school the pe structure is very rigid and just to touch on sport sport creates a very very rigid outcome so you're told a certain set of rules with time parameters space parameters people and that's great but it doesn't really still allow the individual to properly express and for me alongside sport there should still be an an, an element of free play or or activity which promotes people just to be who they are and draw on what they really love doing and if they don't know that again it's to go back to what they maybe did as a child or what sparks their interest as an adult and it's it's just such a powerful tool and it's something that we completely have underrated i feel as as adults and when we look at children we see how much fun they're having how present they are how in, how absorbed they are in their activity and we're almost envious of that and then we put this kind of black and white of oh, children play here and the adults stay here but really we're just all humans and we can all you know interact on that same level even as well and enjoy play for what for what it is do you think things have changed in terms of attitudes towards play and wellness like in the past couple of years with the pandemic is there has there been any shift away from like an achievement-based education and society towards something that's a bit more on this level i'd like to think so um i guess from a from from our view at the human program you know play is such a important pillar for us um how it kind of allows people to feel free um to learn about themselves to collaborate to communicate with one another to role play to to learn how to tolerate frustration which i think is a big one because when you play you know things don't go your way and you're in an environment where you can which you can't control which is adults that might sound really really scary but the more we can be put into environments where we're not in control and we just have to kind of let what happens happen i feel like that's such a good thing for us as human beings to do because then we can cross that over into our professional life and we can tolerate frustration differently potentially we can look at um different um experiences differently we can give ourselves a different perspective on um different things so i think play has such a massive crossover to relationships to professional life to our own lives and it is just this amazing thing that we we really have as a society are conditioned to believe that exercise should be in a one hour format so really the one hour format is induced from the personal trainer or the class being one hour so we always believe that exercise should be done in this very intense one hour where really i think it's i think we only need 150 minutes of activity a week so that's 22 minutes a day and really that's it 
at our beck and call. So we can use those 22 minutes in any which way we want, whether that's gardening, walking, being outside, playing, um, all these great activities which aren't revolved around a particular outcome. Go to a class, work really, really hard for something else, but not really understand and feel yourself while you're doing it. So yeah, play is, play is great. Yeah, I think that's that's an important point, isn't it? When it comes to exercise, I think there's a perception that it needs to be productive. Like it's it's to achieve a weight loss goal or it's to get fitter or it's, you know, to get stronger or whatever. But it's not for no purpose, like just being physically active for no purpose. Completely. And it's, it's a very westernised approach. And just to touch on PE again in school and how we're conditioned to, you know, do a PE lesson and just play the roles in that PE lesson. But really it's so much more than that. And I think that plays into then adulthood. Then when we we're adults and we go to, to the gym or we, we do regular gym classes, it's so fixated around an outcome, whether it's aesthetically driven, um, whether you're trying to achieve a distance on the, on the running machine or, whatever the goal looks like, I think we, we just forget and also lose some of the enjoyment from also the, the activity because we're so engrossed in this, in this environment that we, we believe is the best for our, our own health, where classes which are high intense classes particularly, you know, they, they do have an effect on our nervous system. You know, they do have this, um, down-regulating effect where sorry up-regulating effect where we are putting ourselves into a lot of stress where I feel like we're not really enjoying the activity as such we're working towards very strict parameters and measures to produce what we need to produce it's very work-like and I think there's there's not a huge amount of element of play in that Um, and you can make activity very playful and very physically demanding it doesn't have to be in this very rigid format of how we see activity and fitness in general. So what effect does play have on the nervous system? Play is such a great way to mobilise stress. So there's lots of different outlets to help um, complete stress cycles. So as we, as, as we know, there's a middle beginning and end to every stress cycle and play like with all physical movement, but especially play, I feel like it takes you off that default mode network where you're just looping around, renuminating around certain things. Play takes you off that because you have to be taken off that because play isn't around moving from A to B. Play is around looking at what's in your environment. How can you broaden your visual field? How can you broaden your capacity within that sense? And I feel like that's great for stress because it removes that pull wherever you were before that activity and it allows you freedom and it allows you to be free from um stress and tension and and it's so present because when I've danced and didn't um skateboarded there isn't a chance to think about anything else at all you know I've done exercise different shapes and forms across the years and if I'm doing um maybe a fitness class and it was, I don't know, a certain amount of reps and sets. Uh, it, was, it was it was on a timer. I'm focused, but if I was stressed, I would maybe be thinking about that stress still. I'd be going through the motions thinking, yeah, I'm doing the exercise, but I'm a bit stressed, maybe. Mm. With play, you don't have an opportunity to do that because it's so engaging and it's so uncertain. So your brain has to be fully prepared 
for what's happening with, with that moment. It's not robotic. It's not linear. It's not moving from point A to point B. It's just going through this experience of whatever that example is. Um, so in terms of our physiology and stress and down regulating and you know, using the zebra as the example to shake off stress and you know to move away from um, the threat, whatever that threat may be, whether it's the email or whatever the trigger has been. And, you know, play is this great way of just putting things in, into perspective and allowing that brain to move out of that renuminating pattern or the or whatever the example is in that time. So how do you react when you come up against your own vulnerability in situations like this? I try and use the tools I've got to, you know, in my in my fingertips. Um, so for me personally, breath work has been such a big uh, influential part of how I think and feel on a, on a day-to-day basis. I think before I was really introduced to breath work was practicing breath work. I was a heavy mouth breather. I was chronically stressed, especially when I was playing rugby, I was overstimulated and I didn't have the tools to really navigate myself through anxiety and through stress. And breathing was a gateway to that. I, I'd, I'd always done different types of movement and training, but the breath work really brought me back to a very calm place very quickly. So I'm just extremely grateful to having learned more about the the protocols around breath work and play you know I I skateboard every day I started skateboarding last year and it's such a great stress reliever for me because again just going back to what I said previously I don't have to think about I, I basically can't think because if I think about anything I'll either hurt myself or the board will fly out beneath my feet and you know you for me, when I'm present, I'm happy and I'm in this place of um, contentment with it as well because I'm not thinking about future events and I'm not um, thinking about past events. I'm very much so engrossed in that moment. And then usually after I've skated or I've done different different types of movement training, I feel, I feel like my physiology is relaxed. You know, it's obviously had to release something. Um, I feel like the physical release has always been quite good for me. And then it just helps my whole body and mind feel much happier as a result. Um, so, yeah, I just love it, to be honest. I think it's so great. I mean, that's all you really need to say, isn't it? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you, I mean, you've kind of given one tip about how people can get started with play, but is there anything else you think anyone listening to this should know? It's to engage in novel forms of movement and different speeds of movement is important. So again, if you're moving from A to B and you're always running the same speed, practice one week running laterally, sideways, jumping up and down, leaping. Again, it's just stimulating the, the part of the brain, which is usually thought of as rigid, which is the prefrontal cortex. It allows that part of the brain to become more flexible. It allows that part of the brain to have um, increased operations that it can then utilize. So changing the dynamics of the movement that you've previously been used to and that doesn't need to be backflips and rolls and you know very um outlandish things it can be very simple things but again it's just taking you off that compass point that you might have been just doing the whole time um again it's this is a great way of inducing plasticity and helping your brain develop over time and keeping your brain young which is which is what which is what we all want 
um, again, play for activities allow that to happen. Okay, so I always finish these podcasts by asking someone what their note on vulnerability is. So what's the one thing you want people to take away from the chat we've had today? I think being creative in general is the birthplace of, of, of vulnerability, you know, and it's allowing yourself to step away from maybe seeing what everyone else is doing and just taking your own path and trying things which scare you. I think dosing yourself with some amount of risk and fear, a small amount on a daily basis. And that's what we were done as hunter gatherers. We would have been introduced to uncertain environments as children. I think as adults, we can do the same. And again, it, I think for like that builds resilience. You can tolerate frustration. You can tolerate your environment differently when you are actively putting yourself into vulnerable, safe, low stakes situations so something which isn't going to override your nervous system but it's going to give you enough of a of a pull that you're going to then feel these amazing benefits of play and exploration brilliant so i need to go back um to the gym as in gymnastics definitely yes <laughs> yes definitely yeah 100%. all right well, thank you so much that has been really interesting thank you so much i've really enjoyed it this has been Notes on Vulnerability and I've been Alex, your host. If you especially enjoyed this topic and would like to go deeper into how to take action on it, don't forget that you can hit the subscribe button to access all the additional tips, ideas and support. I'm a resilience coach and you can find me on Instagram at alexshorecoaching, S-H-O-R-E, or online at www.shore-coaching.com. Notes on Vulnerability also has its own Instagram, at notes on vulnerability.